Welcome to the Script PhD podcast, where we shine a spotlight on science and technology in entertainment and media. I'm ScriptPhD.com founder Jovana Grbic. Join me for smart, thought-provoking discussions with the brilliant scientists and creative visionaries finding unity between the analytical and the artistic. Since 2011, when an IBM supercomputer named Watson decisively beat two of the greatest ever Jeopardy quiz show champions, it has been capturing the public imagination about the power and future of artificial intelligence. Watson's big data capabilities have been applied to everything from healthcare to business in approximately 75 industries across 17 countries and growing. It is also the centerpiece of one of the most iconic advertising and marketing campaigns in recent memory. Anne Rubin is the Vice President for Global Creative and Branded Content at IBM, and Stephen Gold is the Chief Marketing Officer for Watson. They joined Script PhD for a conversation about the thought process behind branding Watson, the role and future of AI, and how creative storytelling can help us better understand it. Anne and Stephen, welcome to the Script PhD podcast. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank you. Anne, you've gone on record as saying that with the Watson campaign and its predecessor made with IBM, you don't believe you're necessarily creating advertising, particularly as we traditionally define it, but rather creating content. Can you elaborate on this specific to IBM's core mission and the evolution of the technology being showcased? Sure. I think the line has blurred between what is advertising and what is branded content. With all the varied channels available to us, the definitions are morphing, and that's good, right? That's okay. We need to explore all ways of engaging with our various audiences. We, we like to and need to try new things. We need to experiment and see what works. And so when I said that, and I talked about that, about not creating advertising, creating content, I was talking about really doing things differently, thinking differently about what we create, how we create it, what comes first, and the best way to engage with lots of different types of stakeholders on lots of different types of channels. We don't do advertising that isn't embedded in a fully rich paid owned earned model. So the program overall is always more than advertising. It's more about the range of content assets we're creating. You know, if you take something like the cognitive dress that we created with Marquez as an example, it started with a collaboration, right, designers working with Watson to create a dress. Everything we did around it, you can call it advertising, call it PR, call it branded content. It was all of that. But for us, it was a full brand amplification program. You know, it has all the elements necessary to communicate with a broad audience about a creative way to use Watson. And it was done to help people really understand what cognitive technology is all about. So was there traditional advertising? Yes, there was a print ad and a TV spot, but those came much later. So the Met Gala was in May. The print and TV were launched around the U.S. Open in August. So the program didn't lead with traditional advertising. It led with all sorts of other content, from videos, social tiles, all, all, all the platforms, et cetera, lots of content to engage people and teach people. And then the traditional advertising was a reminder and kind of reinforcement, um, an important point that, Real work is happening now with Watson. So you can see the difference versus starting with, you know, TV, which is traditionally what, what companies and, frankly, what we had, had done in the past. Well, that's actually interesting to me. 
this idea of a didactic form of advertising, teaching your audience about the product as you're engaging them. With technology, it's really a must, isn't it? Exactly, and we believe that very, very strongly at IBM. It's very much part of our character, the importance of teaching people and um, engaging people wherever they are on the spectrum of learning. And we always ensure that people have a way to get more information, more content, go deeper. So wherever they are and wherever they want to go, we, we make that available. Stephen, when it comes to any technology under the artificial intelligence umbrella, there are a myriad of public sentiments to navigate. Fear, distrust, skepticism, and even misinformation. Hollywood, for example, is obsessed with the nefarious side of AI. When branding a technology like Watson, what are the important elements of reconciling those complex opinions to both inform and craft a narrative? Well, I think building on what you were just talking about, a big part of it is around uh, education and understanding what it is and, and as well as what it isn't. And then what, what does it mean to me as an individual from a personal and a professional point of view? How should I, I think about interacting and the benefits and the outcomes that are likely to come from this? And then how do I put it in proper context? Because to the point, so much of what we have thought about AI, artificial intelligence, has been centered around what we have seen from Hollywood. And there is absolutely a need to, to help individuals and organizations understand that that dystopian view of world domination and these machines that are taking over is really misapplied. You know, in the context of what today largely is centered around the notion of augmented intelligence. And if you think about that, we as, as individuals have long been fascinated with, with this idea of augmentation. We've, we've augmented human form through mechanization and machinery. We've augmented human capabilities through amplification, things like telescopes. And certainly we've augmented our, our cognitive capabilities at first uh, in very simplistic forms. Take the calculator, for example, but now you know, more pronounced through large computational capabilities that are present. So the notion of, of augmented intelligence isn't actually all that, that foreign to us. It's something that we understand. And so a lot of the emphasis in positioning and branding and messaging is uh, imbued in the education that we work towards. Uh, as well as the enablement, enablement being more of the how do I how do I actually experience this? Uh, is it something that that rather than being told, I can actually interact with uh, and benefit from? So early in, I think the technology cycle, especially with something as fundamentally game changing as AI, that's a, a big part of the investments uh, that we make. One of the most interesting aspects of this campaign is the warm, anthropomorphic characterization of Watson. He often addresses people and groups in first person. He's funny, self-aware, at times cheeky, and always very helpful. On the one hand, is this a kind of brilliant way of addressing our biggest fears of this technology head-on, rather than circumventing them? On the other, are you also trying to speak to the versatility that the 21st century demands of its integrated technology? Well, I think it's actually a, a bit of both, certainly the former, and I think you characterize Watson really well. I was really happy, with, very happy to hearing you say the words that you use. He is funny, sometimes without actually meaning to be. He is, you know, curious. He's, he's brilliant. He's a friend. We, we call him a humble genius. 
And we do want to tackle those the, the fears head on that, that Steve talked about. And if you look, say, for example, at the video, a longer form video we did with Ridley Scott, you see some of that, really asking him the hard questions. So Watson and Ridley talk about Ridley's science fiction films, and, and Watson presses Ridley to say, you know, your portrayal of AI is often unflattering, and he asks his views on that. And Ridley says that you can dream and invent in movies, right? But in real life, it's an evolving time in human history, and AI can tell you things you never would have known before, and, and it's very positive and very incredible. I think the fact that Watson, you know, we had Watson really take that head on and ask Ridley the question is, is important and positive. We didn't know what Ridley was going to say. But Watson, you know, we, we do want to take this head on. And the fact that he does have this kind of personality makes makes it even easier for people to feel that Watson is approachable. You know, I think that the technology of today needs to be versatile, as you said. It needs to be able to help humans and work with humans, and people need to accept that. To accept that, Watson, the Watson brand needs a certain kind of personality. It needs to be approachable and helpful and humble and human. So that's what we're trying to do. And I think you're right. When Watson talks in the commercials, at least, interacts with different types of people, different types of personalities shine through. And I think that's really important for people to be able to relate to Watson. Stephen, we're at the precipice, if not nascent, of a revolution in terms of the intertwined and intimate role technology plays in our lives and the way it helps us do business. For example, the Blue Brain Project at IBM is making headway towards making computers function like a brain for greater plasticity and cross-computing functions. Watson is as diverse in its applications as ever. Where do you envision this trajectory, 20? 50, 100 years from now, how do you craft a creative narrative to help build a foundation to usher it in, in both a prescient and salient manner? Well, you know, it's really interesting when you, you think about this particular technology and how it's just fundamentally changing the way we think about computing. So we're moving away from the, the rigor of computational and deterministic type computing that we've known since the 50s to an era that really is unconstrained. And, and what's interesting about that is these systems get progressively better because they learn. And so much the way that, that we progressed you know, through our childhood and, and year to year moving on to the next level of education, so too does this technology. So over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you're going to see that this technology, the, this AI, or what we like to talk about as cognitive computing, is going to get progressively more capable, more robust, more feature-rich. And we say cognitive computing versus simply AI because AI is a technology. What it gets interesting is when I, I match that technology with a, a domain understanding with the content that fuels it, then, then I start to really start to unlock the potential of where this, this all is going to take us. So think about where it's been applied to date. Watson has been out learning about health and working with doctors on finding better treatment protocols in areas as complex as cancer. And it's made some huge strides in terms of its ability to, to assist doctors in this regiment. Uh, it's being applied to, to broader characteristics and in, in health and around you know, genomic, to wellness and, and care and case management and drug discovery and development. But it's not just stopping with health. It's moving into finance and thinking about how we plan for our retirement or buy our home. It's moving into legal and thinking about the, the arguments that a lawyer might make arguing a particular case. 
We're seeing it take form in retail, helping us make better online decisions and travel, putting the, the personal experience back into travel uh, experience itself. We're seeing it in media, money, manufacturing. So I think over the next 30, 40, 50 years, you're going to see this go much deeper. We'll continue to learn, advance, get more progressive in its understanding of that domain and the type of questions. And we'll go from where we are today, I think more centered around what some would call artificial specific intelligence, focusing this technology on a particular problem to a more evolved form of artificial general intelligence, better understanding of the world we live in uh, at large. And you'll see it take form in new mediums. So we'll move beyond the conventions of mobile devices and the ubiquity they represent and laptops to, to robotics and how they will help us provide, for example, better care for the aging. So it's really exciting where this technology, I think, will take us. It's certainly in the natural progression of the way we as individuals have advanced and adopted technologies over uh, the last you know, number of decades, in fact, arguably over the last century. So I think it will serve to amplify how man and machine come together, work together towards better outcomes. And that's very exciting. And. Taking a more broad outlook at the world of branding and creative storytelling in science and technology, especially with the journey and evolution you've had at the helm of IBM's content strategy, what are some things you personally wish would still be infused in our greater dialogue about technology, particularly within the context of entertainment, media, and advertising? My head jumps to two different areas, because you mentioned storytelling, and that definitely is critical, especially in a field that can be complex, right? If people don't understand something, the best way to teach is with a story that compels and intrigues them because it will encourage them to learn more and it gets them in, engaged and excited. And the more you learn about something like Watson and cognitive technologies, the more you're convinced that it's the way companies will differentiate in the future. So today people talk about about digital and being a digital business, but we do not believe that's the end goal, right? That's really foundational. And the thing that will differentiate is, is cognitive, and that should be the discussion. And, you know, I'm not talking about you know, simple question-and-answer technology. I'm talking about complex decision-making that can only be done with various cognitive technologies. And this is happening today in every industry. Steve talked about some of them, and people are seeing real, real results and real value being created. So that's the discussion. It's a discussion on where business is going, and it's going in this cognitive journey and that, you know, whatever your business is, it can be entertainment, media, advertising, medical, oil, gas, retail, whatever. So that's where business is going. And I, I think, you know, closer to the, really the question you're asking about the context of advertising and entertainment, um, I think there's a discussion out there on creativity and how much technology can and, and should influence creativity. Because if creativity is thought of as you know, original ideas and using your imagination and new ways of thinking. So you think, well, how, how should technology influence that? It's my own ideas. But I think it absolutely can influence and should influence your ideas. And I think technology will inspire even the most creative geniuses to come up with something they couldn't have come up with before, right? So if technology like Watson can spark the imagination or get you thinking differently, then you'll be inspired. So take a chef who uses Chef Watson, for example. Watson doesn't give the chef the recipe. Watson suggests some outrageous combinations of ingredients based on chemical properties of food and the science of taste and millions of other data points 
takes all that and, and inspires a chef to try something new. So that's that's using technology to be more creative. It doesn't take anything away from the chef. I think people need to embrace a partnership with technology, specifically cognitive technology, to do things they couldn't do before. It is, as Steve talked about this, it is all about man plus machine. It is all about human creativity and intelligence being augmented by, by technology. And finally, Stephen, you touched earlier on the profound idea that it's not so much that we will do things drastically differently than we do now. It's that the way we do them will be changed by AI, by accelerating and making things more proficient. As technology continues to evolve, expand, and integrate itself into our lives, what are the ethical and moral issues that give you pause for consideration, and what possibilities excite you the most? Sure, and I, and I think as we kind of lean into those those logical questions that normally come up, we have to think about how the world around us is fundamentally changing. We live in a world awash with, with data, the volume of information available to us that we can make sense out of, that we can put meaning to, is growing exponentially, and, it, and it's just accelerating at this point. And in order for us to continue to make informed, you know, logical, evidence-based decisions, we, we actually need a technology, a if you will, an ability to, to harness this information in, in meaningful ways. We want our doctors to apply the knowledge uh, available from the data to, to make better decisions on our behalf. We want that to happen with financial planners. We want to have that to happen almost every walk and way in which we live today. And, and so there's, there's this very compelling reason why now is the time for this technology to come forward and, and take hold. And the conversations that are happening around it, the ethical conversations and considerations are not generally dissimilar from what we have seen in the past. If you flash back to the introduction of the mainframe, uh, there was great debate and discussion about job displacement. And yet when we look back, what's interesting is many of the more prominent roles in the enterprise today are deeply founded in that technology uh, before the mainframe, we didn't have database administrators. We didn't have network operators. We didn't have programmers. It, it launched a whole new wave of professions, much the way we anticipate that uh, with cognitive computing, you know, we will see the same. We will see the rise of linguists. We will see the rise of data trainers. You know, we will see the rise of, of curators of information. And so, you know, with, with each discussion, you know, we have to revisit the past to learn from it and then picture the, the future going forward. Uh, and so I think in, in many of the areas in terms of ethical use, again, not dissimilar from conversations we've had before, but, you know, we know from history that, that one, of the, one of the ways to ensure proper consideration is, is to put this out into the public domain. It isn't try to regulate or control or to limit it, but, but it's actually to progress its understanding and knowledge such that the, the average individual has uh, an informed opinion, you know, about this. And, and in many ways, technology affords us some greater latitude when it comes to some natural concerns, you know, for example, about privacy. I, I feel much more confident that technology is a, uh, is a better seating stage for maintaining my privacy than, you know, what historically – uh, we've relied on for humans to do. So th these are great conversations or conversations that have to take place. Uh, they're, they're conversations I would encourage us all to have out in the open. But in the end, I think probably the most important consideration is when we look at where we are or where we're going, 
are we as mankind going to be better for it? And there's no question, I think, and certainly in my, in my mind, uh, that the ability to provide uh, a better quality of care, a better educational experience, a better quality of life, all is directly dependent upon our adoption and evolution of this technology. We thank Anne Rubin and Stephen Gold of IBM for joining the podcast. Listening to the Script PhD podcast. I'm Jovana Grbic. Our theme music was composed by Dave Mendez. For more conversations with groundbreaking innovators at the interface of science and popular culture, subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes and SoundCloud. Or find a full archive on our blog, scriptphd.com, by selecting the podcast category. See you guys next time.